Well, hey, good morning. If you would, grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. Uh, Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. I'd love for everybody to have their Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, grab one of these blue hardback Bibles. They're all throughout the room. And if you don't have a Bible, please take this home as our gift to you. Uh, You can turn to page 964 in the blue hardback Bibles. Uh, we just we just have the best church, y'all. I know best is not like a theological category. I don't think of churches, but we have amazing buddies. We have amazing kids ministry leaders. You know, I think about our worship team and our tech booth, our greeters, the deacons. I mean, I know you just came to church this morning, but the amount of people that work to help put this on is pretty amazing. And uh, our teenagers right now, our high schoolers, are, does anybody know where our high schoolers are? Where are all the high schoolers? They're skiing right now, those heathens. Can you believe it? No, I'm just, they had a worship service this morning, but they are, Lord willing, safely skiing on Mount Bachelor right now. And uh, I really do want to double click. If you want to share the gospel of John with somebody, go to the barn after this service and learn about how to do the word one-to-one. We're hoping 20 people uh, take us up on that challenge this year and 20 non-Christians are introduced to Jesus through the gospel of John this year. So uh, lots of things to be thankful for, and uh, thank you for being here. Uh, This is my last sermon. I'm going to be preaching on the Lord's Prayer, and by, you know, all accounts, this will be the last time I ever preach to you about the Lord's Prayer, so better take it in. There's, there's a lot to this book, okay? We've got to get through it. So this is the last time I'll be preaching to you about the Lord's Prayer. Our series ends today on the Lord's Prayer. With that in mind, let's look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Would you be seated and keep that Bible open in front of you? Father, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would aid my words and that you would open up our hearts and our minds to understand your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Where is the ending? Where is the ending? You know how many people have been asking me about that this whole sermon series? Where is, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Every week, someone's like, where's the ending? Well, uh, I don't want to scare you, but this is going to be my answer to that question. You've waited this whole time. Look down at Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. Now, you may realize, some of you, if you have a New King James or a King James Bible, you'll know that there's a verse there that we say in our worship service, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But other translations of the Bible, like the ESV and the NIV, and more modern ones, they don't have that in there. Now, uh, don't get too uh, worried about this. This is something called textual criticism. Uh, Actually, there's a great lesson about this in the Alpha course, if you ever come to Alpha that talks about this, but scholars spend lots and lots of time looking at manuscripts of the New Testament uh, written in the original Greek, and we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Uh, There is more manuscript evidence for the New Testament than any other ancient document. It's the most trustworthy 
document ever in history. But there is a question about whether or not that phrase, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, is that really originally in Matthew, or was that added on later? Well, if you look at the other time the Bible includes the Lord's Prayer, Matthew, uh, Luke 11, if you were to look at Luke 11, Luke doesn't ever mention that. But, you know, uh, if you go back to church history and you study guys like Tertullian and Origen and Cyprian, they would say that this was added as part of sort of the worship life of the church. But other people will say, no, it's always been in there and we should always retain it in the prayer. Uh, you know, I'm kind of a church history nerd, so please forgive me. Uh, but there's a great ancient document called the Didache, which is Greek for the teaching. Uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia. It's probably the oldest Christian document we have, apart from the New Testament. And in the Didache, it says, this is the Lord's Prayer. And guess what the Didache includes? For thine is the power and the glory forever. So, what am I saying? Well, I'm saying there's great historical evidence to include this in the Bible. And then there's some question about whether or not it was added later on. So, what should we do? Well, I think the safest option is to keep it in our worship service, which is why here at our church, we actually pray the King James Version of the Lord's Prayer for thine, right? You hear the thines, right? So I think we should keep it in there, but I'm, I'm bringing this up because one, a lot of people have asked me about this, and two, I don't think it should really bother you all that much. I think we should continue to pray it, and, and then I think we should be open-minded about, you know, whether or not it was really in Matthew, because even if it wasn't originally in Matthew, here's the thing. It's great theology and it's true. And so if someone did add it later on, it probably comes from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> So I think we should keep it in our worship service. Uh, you know, uh, do I believe it was originally part of the book of Matthew? Well, uh, you know, I would look at someone like John Calvin as a big spiritual mentor, and guess what he says? He says, yeah, it should be in there because there's great historical evidence. So anyway, um, the reason I, I mention all that is because people have been asking, but also, uh, regardless of, you know, what you think about that little add-on to the prayer, step back for a second and just ask, what is it teaching you and I? When, when we say, for yours is the kingdom, yours, O oh Lord, is the power, yours, what are we saying? Well, I think the key to sort of finishing the Lord's Prayer, especially verse 13 and the ending, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, the key that you and I have that's going to unlock the door for us to walk through this is humility. Look inward for just a second. Do you think you have a humble heart? Because only a humble heart can really pray this. Lord, don't lead me into temptation. I need you to deliver me because yours is the power, not mine. I am a poor sinner. Lord, protect me because I cannot protect myself. Uh, you know, think about it this way. If it's, a, if it's a temptation that you face, if it's a temptation, can you resist it? No. That's what makes it a temptation, y'all. You know, every year when you get candy and you are so tempted to buy the five-gallon bag of black licorice at Costco, you know how tempting it is? No, you don't. You know why? Because black licorice is horrible. 
It's not a temptation. Only psychos eat that stuff, right? <laughs> Just kidding. Maybe you like black licorice. But assuming you have a normal palate, if you were walking down the aisle at Costco and you saw a five-pound gallon bucket of black licorice, you'd probably be like, gross, not buying that, right? It's not a temptation. A temptation is something that actually tempts you. You know, I'm reminded of what the U.S. Surgeon General said a few years ago about how he had given up smoking because that was good for his health. And he talked about how amazing it was that he could give up smoking. I mean, what an addiction. And yet, he said he was powerless in front of a plate of cookies. He said Oreos are more tempting to me than the cigarettes were. If it's a temptation, by its very nature, it is very difficult to resist. That's what makes it a temptation. You're not tempted by it. It's not a temptation to you. Temptation by the very nature makes us prone to want to do it. But here's the thing, friends. We're all sinners and we're all tempted by different things. So now the question is, is when you and I are tempted, what do we rely on? Is it our self-will? Is it our good moral character? Is it our humble heart that we're very proud of that we know we can say no to temptation? No. You know why? Because sometimes you're down on the, you know, row at Albertsons, and you may be able to say no to black licorice, but we all know what you can't say no to, which is when Tillamook Mudslide ice cream is two ninety nine. dollars <laughs> Have you ever seen that? It's like you have to buy five, or you're going to be losing money on it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? That's temptation. Tillamook Mudslide ice cream at two ninety nine dollars a pop. Goodness gracious. The reason I, I mention all this is because, friends, when you think about temptation, it's easy to be like, well, I'm not tempted by a lot of things like all these other people are. But friend, each one of us is a sinner. Now, some of us are also saints. By Christ, we are redeemed. We are new people. But temptation always dogs you and me, and it's always something different. And what I want you to realize, friend, is you in the face of temptation and me in the face of temptation, we are not strong. We are weak. If we were strong in the face of it, it wouldn't be a temptation, now would it? I can say no all day long to black licorice. Of course I can, but that's not what I'm tempted by. So as we finish up this Lord's Prayer, I want you to walk through this door with me using humility as the key. Look at verse 13. Jesus teaches you and me, his followers, his disciples, to pray this. Lord, Father in heaven, don't lead us into temptation. Now, what I want you to first see about that sentence right there, look at verse 13, and maybe you've noticed this over the last few weeks. I want you to underline that word, us. Do you see that? Lead us, not into temptation. I'm always struck whenever I pray the Lord's Prayer that it has this way of elevating my life, that it's not just about me and my problems. It's not just about me and my temptations. I'm also praying for you, and I'm praying for all of God's people all throughout the world. I'm praying for all of the pastors in the Rogue Valley. Lead us, not in temptation. And I'm praying for you, brother and sister. And when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are not just praying for yourself. You are praying for each other. You know, what I love so much about this is it <clears throat> reminds me of the book of Hebrews and the need to genuinely love somebody enough to call them to account to hold people accountable. You know, Hebrews 3, talking about this recognition that we're all tempted by things, right? We're all tempted. We all know that we're, we struggle with sin. But Hebrews 3, verse 12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. 
but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, when you and I pray the Lord's Prayer, we are elevated beyond just our small lives. And we are reminded that we are a part of the body of Christ. We are fingernails. We are nose hairs. <laughs> and we're all connected to other believers. And we say, Lord, may we have the courage to hold each other accountable. May we exhort one another as long as it is called today. You see, but the key to doing that really is humility. You know, when we pray for each other, it's not that we're thinking, well, I'm so great. I can say no to temptation. These other knuckleheads around me, I guess I need to pray for them, right? <laughs> because the gospel is this incredibly humbling message, and it's also an uplifting message. You know, and it's really that tension that is what makes the gospel so powerful, right? Because it humbles me so much that it says that I'm worse than I think. But it also lifts me to great heights because no matter what I do, good or bad, God loves me as my father, I can approach the throne of grace. My soul is forever secured in his presence. And so is yours, Christian. So does Christianity humble you? Or does it lift you to heights you never thought possible? Well, which one is it, Christian? It's both. It both humbles you and lifts you higher than you thought possible. So in that humility, we approach each other. We hold each other accountable. And we pray for each other. Christian, when was the last time you prayed, lead us, our church, not a temptation? Now, let's keep pushing into verse 13. I'm not just going to focus on, you know, the word us. Look at that idea, lead us, not into what? Temptation, right? Now, okay, so this is, uh, you know, it's, it's fun. It's fun studying the original language of the Bible because that word temptation right there can also be translated as testing, so, testing is the same word in the Bible as temptation. And so, sometimes we're tested and then sometimes we're tempted. So, which is it? Does God lead us into temptation? Does God want us to be tempted by sin? Well, if you were to read the book of James, James tells us very clearly God tempts nobody. I mean, why would God want us to sin? That's totally illogical. But here's the thing, Christian, that you've got to recognize. No, God does not tempt you and I to sin, but he does allow for us to be tested. We are not tempted by God. Let no one say I'm tempted by God. James 1.13. But we are tested in our faith. And we go through tests and we go through trials, hopefully so that the genuineness of our faith will come through. So is it good to go through temptations? Should we go through temptations? Should we run into testing? <laughs> Well, uh, on the night when Jesus was betrayed, when he's praying with his disciples, twice Jesus says in Luke 22, he says, rise and pray that you not be led into temptation. You see, what I want to suggest to you, friends, is that if the gospel really is working through your heart, you don't become more proud as you go through the Christian life. You actually become more humble. You've actually become more aware of how easily you and I fall into temptation. And the Christian's understanding of temptation is simply, I would just rather avoid it completely. <laughs> you know what, God? Don't take me down the cookie aisle at Costco anymore. I would just as soon walk past it. And I really think that's what's at the heart of this prayer. I mean, look at verse 13. Lord, Father, don't lead me into temptation. You know why? 
because we struggle in the face of temptation. So I would just as rather soon avoid it. That is really our best hope. Uh, you may remember a few years ago, we went through a series on the book of Proverbs. And I love Proverbs. If you don't know how to read the Bible, read a chapter a day corresponding to the day of the month. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. So there's 31 days in a typical month. So you could read, you know, Proverbs 19 today if you wanted to read the Bible. But if you were to read Proverbs, you know, there's this father, Solomon, giving wisdom to his son. And he's talking to his son about how to have a great life. And one of the major points of wisdom this is so profound. Solomon's idea of wisdom is not like secret information stored away that you've got to like figure out some weird religious mantra to open it up. You know, it's not like he says like the dove flies in the morning with morning light in its hair. No, it doesn't say weird things like that. It says very practical things. And in Proverbs chapter four, this father is giving advice to his young son. And when it comes to avoiding sin, when it comes to facing temptation, guess what Solomon says to his son? This is chapter four. He says, don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way. Avoid it. Don't go into it. Turn away. <laughs> How many times do you think he has to say this? And then in chapter five, he uses uh, temptation as sort of this sultry woman tempting young men. And in chapter five, he says, and now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. I could keep going, but do you see the message from wise Solomon? The best bet for you and I is just simply not to go down certain paths. It's to avoid things all together. So the good news then is, you say, okay, well, I guess I need to pray that God would never let me be tempted or tested. Well, that's your first prayer. God, I don't even want to, I don't even want you to be tempted. So Lord, don't let me be tempted. You know, just like Jesus said, pray that God will not allow you to be tempted. Well, that's our first prayer, Christian, because we know that in the face of temptation, we always fall. That's, that's what makes it a temptation, y'all. <laughs> if you could say no, it would just be black licorice. But then you're thinking, but wait a second. We always go through temptation. Doesn't Jesus say temptation must come, but woe to the one by whom it comes? We know we're going to be tested. We know we're going to go through hard things in this life. We can't avoid the world. We can't leave the world. So what is the hope? Well, the hope of the gospel, Christian, is that if you know that you are a sinner saved by grace, you're not alone in this world. Your very spirit and the Holy Spirit of God himself are like this. God sends the spirit of his son into your heart, making you more and more into who you were always meant to be. You are a more righteous man. You are a more righteous woman. You don't want to just avoid sin. You want to be righteous. You want to be like Jesus. And the great news is that because the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it yearns to follow the Lord. And the Holy Spirit gives us a way of escape. 1 Corinthians Chapter 10, turn there, it's page 1,138, says it this way, Christian, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Hey, guess what? We're all tempted. That's what it's saying. But God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Christian, if you are facing sin or temptation, oftentimes you will feel just the slightest nudge in your heart and in your conscience that something is off, something is wrong. And Christian, do not ignore that. 
it may very well be the Holy Spirit prompting you to not go down this path, but to go to a different one. You know, uh, as we get ready for Lent, okay, full disclosure, Lent is my favorite season in the church calendar. Uh, You don't have to celebrate Lent. People think it's kind of a downer. But, you know, if you're going to celebrate Christmas and Easter, why not throw in 40 days of fasting and repentance? (laughs) You know? Uh, Or or think about it this way. Uh, What do you think would be more spiritually beneficial for you? A new Easter outfit or 40 days of fasting and repentance? No amen on that one. You don't have to do it. Maybe you think it's weird. Follow your conscience. But if you do it, uh, I think of Lent as sort of a spiritual audit. You know, we're all doing our taxes right now. You know what an audit is? An audit is an assessment of your resources, right? And so to me, 40 days of fasting and taking Lent as a serious spiritual exercise, it's an opportunity every year to sort of audit the things in my life. You know, do these things lead me to life? Do they lead me to love others? Do they lead me to love God? Or are they actually like stealing my life away from me? So famously, a couple years ago, I gave up social media. And guess what? I've never regretted it a day in my life. You know why? Because it makes me hate people. You know why? Because people are awful. And you know what? They say all the things in their minds online. And then I look inward and I'm like, I hate myself too. (laughs) We're all terrible. Lent is an opportunity for you and I to do an audit, a temptation audit even. You know, one of the easiest ways uh, to avoid sin is to do an audit. Say, what what are my prevailing sins? What is it that really trips me up? What is something that's got me like a vice? Isn't that a fun word, a vice? You know, there's virtues and then there's vices. A vice is something, I mean, clamped down, holding you back, right? Vices are things like greed. They're things like lust. They're things like anger. How would you get rid of that? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next sermon series leading up to Easter. But I just want to plant that thought in your mind to consider Lent a time of deeper prayer, intentional repentance, you know, a spiritual auditing. What is it that I have that's maybe taking me away from loving God and loving others? And what could I sort of go without to maybe make room for something better? You know, but does fasting actually help you in the face of temptation? Does fasting help you at all? Would fasting for 40 days help you at all in the face of temptation? Well, if you look at the life of Jesus, what happens in Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus is baptized by John in the river. And then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, drove Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And then for 40 days, what did Jesus do? He fasted. And he prepared himself for the ultimate face down between him and the devil himself. So you could say that fasting prepares you for the spiritual battle of temptation. Why am I bringing up that story? Well, look down at verse 13. You see where it says, but deliver us from evil. Right there, uh, you know, if you were to literally translate that phrase word by word from the original Greek, it would actually say, but deliver us from the evil. The evil. It's not evil. It's also the evil. And if you were to look at the way that Matthew uses that phrase, the evil, 
it's often in the book of Matthew referring not just to like evil as an abstract idea, but to whom? The devil himself, the evil one. Do you know the parable of the sower? You know, the sower goes out, he casts out a bunch of seed, but then the evil one comes and it snatches the seeds off the ground. It uses the same word, the evil one. So there's a long history throughout the Christian church and a long understanding uh, in God's people that evil is not just simply evil as an abstract idea that you and I need to be delivered from, but actually the devil, Satan himself. And what I want to suggest to you is that our hope in the face of real evil like that, the evil one, Satan himself, the hope is not that you and I have enough willpower, right? If you and I had, you know, the right willpower, we could face all the cookie plates in the world. Um, but let's be honest, I've, I've seen our church after worship on Sundays. Those cookie plates stand no chance. Black licorice, okay, we could say no to that. Actual temptation, eh, it's a different story. But Christian, what is our hope in a spiritual battle against an ancient evil like the devil? Well, friends, if you are looking at your own you know, moral character, of course there's no hope. But for the Christian, you and the Holy Spirit are like this. Like this. And the Holy Spirit in you yearns to be made into the image of Christ. And if you look to the Holy Spirit in the face of temptation, you can overcome. Hear the promise of God. This is from James chapter 4. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You can make the devil and temptation flee, not in your own strength, but looking to God who is with you. So um, I guess what I want to finish with is just this simple idea. Um, There is a hero to the story of our lives. There is a hero, but it's not you or me. It's in Jesus Christ who fasted for 40 days and then said no to every temptation the devil could throw at him. Pleasure, possessions, pride. In fact, Jesus lived his life without sin. Jesus was fully human. He was tempted in every way that you and I could ever be. And now he is able to sympathize with us. He knows how hard it is to say no to temptation. He says, the flesh indeed is willing, but the, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But friends, if you are a Christian, you can say no to temptation. Let me just sort of recap. I know I've thrown a bunch of thoughts to you. This is my last sermon on the Lord's Prayer. So let me just sort of recap what I'm suggesting to you to consider Christian. Number one, pray for our church. Pray for our pastors. Pray for our leaders that we would not be led into temptation. Pray for each other. You know, uh, for years at our church, if you looked at the Bell Ringer magazine, who is listed as the minister of the church? Who is the minister of our church? Every member. Don't you love that? The priesthood of all believers. We pray for each other. I want you to have courage. I want you to exhort one another to not let each other be swayed by sin. As long as it is called to today, live into that accountability 
I want us always to remember the gospel of grace, that you and I are sinners in need of God's mercy. You know, we're not made saints because we are good people or by our efforts, but only by the blood of the lamb. There's only one hero in our story. I want you to look down at Matthew 6, 13, and remember that when you and I pray, Lord, keep us from temptation, we recognize the humility that the gospel gives us. That in the face of temptation, nobody's strong. That's what makes it a temptation. So, Lord, I would just as soon avoid it. (laughs) But when you look at the second half of verse 13, deliver us from evil. I need you to remember that you and I live in a world where there is a genuine spiritual battle at place. But don't let that scare you. Jesus said that on the cross, he was going to throw down the ruler of this world. And he has disarmed the rulers and the principalities in the spiritual realms. And now by his Holy Spirit, we can fight against the devil and temptation. And he will flee from us. I want to ask you, uh, as your pastor, I'm not, I'm not your pastor yet. You know, my old mentors used to tell me, you're not really their pastor until you've been there five years. Well, four years and a month. Maybe in 11 months, you'll listen to me. But I do seriously want to implore you as your pastor, uh, as someone who keeps watch over your souls, as someone who will have to give an account to God. That's what Hebrews says. I want to implore you to use Lent as a time to do the audit on your soul. Do a temptation audit. Deeper prayer. Fast. Give to the needy. That's Lent. I'll talk more about it on Wednesday night. Oh, and and please come Wednesday night. So let me just finish up. If it's a temptation, can you resist it? If it's a temptation, can you resist it? Well, if you rely on your own strength, you know, probably not. But if you look to Christ Jesus, who is without sin, whose Holy Spirit dwells within you by faith, you can. You know why? Because it will be his greatness, his majesty, and his victory. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and we thank you that we can draw near the throne of grace with confidence that we can ask and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Lord, we pray for each other right now. We pray for our leaders. We pray for the people sitting just a few seats away from us. Lord, would you lead us not into temptation, but that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would deliver us from the evil one. Lord, we pray that we would rely more and more on the power of the Spirit and not our own efforts. Lord, we pray that not just for our church as well, but for all of the churches in the Rogue Valley. Lord, this morning we especially pray for Cornerstone Christian Church. Lord, we lift to you now Pastor Quentin and the elders. Lord, we pray that they would grow closer and closer to you. Lord, that the grace of the gospel would go forth from that church to more and more people. Lord, that you would bless their relationship with the Medford Gospel Mission. And Lord, that they would truly be the hands and the feet of Christ. Lord, we think about those who are sick and in need this morning. And Lord, we pray for endurance, encouragement, 
and healing for each one of them. Lord, have mercy on Noah James, Cal Pipel, Randy Templeton, Sean McCoy, Harry Gilg, Gail Johnston, Paul Deller, and Lynn Toombs. And Lord, as your word tells us to pray for all those in high places and in authority over us, Lord, we pray this morning for President Jimmy Carter. And Lord, we pray that you would be preparing his soul to meet you. Lord Jesus, have mercy on him. And Lord, we continue to pray for our mission this month for the EPC Church plant in Spokane. Lord, we pray that Pastor Tommy would have great inroads with Whitworth University, with the president, with the professors, the students. Lord, that he would become a mentor to the ROTC students. Lord, we pray that you would leverage his past as an army ranger to make inroads also with the veterans in that community. And Lord, we pray for a great harvest of souls in Spokane. Lord, bless that church for your glory. Lord, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.